Hey, good Sunday morning, uh, Soul Sanctuary. Great to be here with you. Or I should say, as Jerry says, good morning, saints and sinners. I'm learning from you, Jerry. We're looking forward to sharing with you today. And uh, I'll be sharing today on unexpected joy, un really unexpected Christmas joy. And Julie will be sharing for uh, Blue Christmas and uh, what all that means. We had hoped to be an in-person setting here, but uh, you know, during this challenging uh, Christmas season in the midst of COVID, we're thankful at least for online options, right? God knew our paths would intersect today. He knew about what was going on, and God has something amazing for you today. I know he does. He planned and purposed it a long time ago. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 3 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. He knows you. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. He's familiar with every way that you have. God knew. God knows. You know God is calling you to expect Christmas joy right now, right here, today, tomorrow, the next day. He's calling you beyond. It's written in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 10. Verse 10, he says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to you, our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he brings that joy. God has prepared incredible love gifts that are good because he is good. His promises are good, and he prepares them for you. The good news is not our circumstances. In prison, the circumstances were not good. The good news is that Jesus is our good news. We arrived Friday afternoon here in Winnipeg, and I was so looking forward to it because I've been here once or twice before. Look, looking forward to that hug mat. You know, you come down the stairs to get your bags, and there's that big blue hug mat. And I thought, and I looked down, and I said, where is it? There's no one here to hug me and greet me. Now, of course, I know it's COVID, and you can't do that, but I thought at least the mat would be there. It was disappointing, really. You know, we have friends here. We have one uh, family friend. She's 92. She lives down in Morris. And we wanted to see her. We were hoping to see her and a few other people. But things have changed, and we just can't see people. We can't do things as we hope to. The city, really, I guess the province is in lockdown. The things you would hope for just aren't possible at the moment. Christmas will be different here than any other year. It'll be different for us in BC as well. So my question is, so where is God in the middle of difficult times? When things hoped for are not happening, where is God? Can we trust in his plan in difficult days? Can we? Julie and I have seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, and experienced the incredible and unexpected gifts of joy that God brings. And hope that transforms. Because that's what he does. He transforms hope. Even in the midst of incredible pain. God prepared unexpected gifts for us during our 775-day ordeal in prison in China. We were abducted and falsely accused as spies, it was a long two years, one month, 11 days, and a few hours. We want to share a bit of that story with you, that unexpected joy that God brought in the midst of pain and suffering. But take a moment to watch this video first. In August of 1984, Julie and I went to China to teach English, and we end up staying for 30 years and getting involved in aid projects, working with churches and orphanages. We just got married, we were 23, 24, and we met two different individuals who had both come back from teaching in China. And they just kind of dropped the seed there. And finally, the Chinese government invited us to come and teach English, so we went over to China. We really loved it. We set up 
kindergartens, orphanage, schools, training centers in very small towns in China. Julie and I were arrested on August 4th, 2014. All these people came and grabbed us, separated us, and didn't see Julie for months after that. I suddenly was taken by two men, and I remember thinking, who are these people? Like, where am I going? What's wrong? They, they must, must be the wrong people. They must have made a mistake. They took me to our apartment with about 18 security personnel, and then they proceeded to just ransack our apartment, taking books off the shelf, going through everything that we owned, like our children's binoculars. And they said, oh, you know, kind of like, oh, this is spy material. Or they found a, a computer in a cupboard, and they said, aha, you're trying to hide it. And this went on till four or five o'clock in the morning. They put me back into the car and they drove for close to an hour out of town. I ended up at this kind of remote compound and through locked doors, they lead me into this room. There's a bed, a couple desks, and two cameras mounted on the wall. The windows were uh, covered with very dark, heavy curtains. And that's where I spent the next six months. The interrogation was hard, was terrifying, but I just thought, okay, I'm here to love these people. So I'm gonna try to serve them, I'm gonna try to be kind. And I thought, you know, this is their job. They think I'm a spy, I'm not a spy. We're both in a really awkward position. They say, we're not interested in your Christian work. And so going through my mind, I'm thinking, well then what could you be interested in? There's nothing else that we're doing here. I mean, we're running a coffee shop, we're working with an orphanage, we're doing aid work into North Korea. And I thought, well, this should be over really quick because we're not. When I found out that the whole world knew and that there were so many people praying, I thought, aha, that's how the family of God works together at times like that. You're all alone, you don't know anyone's with you, you think nobody even knows you're there, but you're not forgotten. They verbally threatened many times, uh, threatened execution, they threatened to send me to North Korea, they said we could get seven or eight years in prison but they never physically hurt me in any way. I didn't know how Julia was. I figured out after a while that she was in the same building. Kevin was actually downstairs in the same building as me, and he realized that I went out for my walk around the outdoor courtyard right after he did. He started drawing little hearts with his boots, planted two boots like this to make hearts in the snow. And sometimes the guards would stamp them out, but sometimes I'd come out and there would be these little hearts in the snow. And we used like little ways like that to kind of send each other love messages. And I think that really helped us to get through. The morning of February 3rd, they got up at my normal time, had breakfast, and it wasn't long after breakfast that they told me to pack up my things. And then we drove an hour and a half to the prison. And that was a, a whole new, well, experience really isn't quite the right, right word. It was um, a whole new level of an imprisonment of being detained. My head investigator drove me back to my apartment and said, come down whenever you're asked and don't do this, don't do that, follow this, follow that. And then the next 19 months was in that context for me and in prison for Kevin. And I entered into that you know, huge uh, building, big, uh, thick gray walls, uh, very tall, probably 20 or 25 feet tall, I'm guessing and uh, get put into cell 318. They had up to 14 other people in that cell, and that's where I, I stayed for the next 19 months. Once in a while, the investigators came back and they said, oh, it'll be over soon. And so, you know, I fixed my hope on soon. 
what then soon became months. And they said, oh, it's been uh, extended for another six months. And yeah, at that point, I would just, because I, I thought the time is almost up, I'm going to be released. And that was Christmas 2015. And I hope just it fell out. I just, um, I guess you could say I felt just despair because I thought, how can I do another six months? There was still no court date in sight. There was still nothing in sight. Inside the prison cell itself, it was about 12 paces long by about five, not quite six paces wide. And when you have 14 people in that kind of space, it's crowded. Your bathroom is a, a glass-walled enclosure, maybe two paces by less than one. Having glass walls and having cameras uh, facing you all day long in that cell and, and when you're in the bathroom is not, um, well, it's not pleasant. I guess we'll have to say that. The food cart comes down and they slop it in with a, a big ladle into a communal bowl. Uh, it's usually enough for three to four people to eat, so you, you eat in a group, and that's how we ate every day. All the way through, the consular officials kept telling me when they came that this is being raised at the highest levels, you know, the, the government's working on this. And, and I, I had hope in that, that they were doing something, that it wasn't on the back burner. That when uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper came, he did bring it up with uh, Chinese officials, that when Prime Minister Trudeau came, he brought it up at the highest levels. For that, we're incredibly grateful. And then September 13th happened. They pronounced me guilty of espionage and spying, and they sentenced me to eight years in prison. And um, that was upsetting. But the embassy official, when I was able to talk to him afterwards, he said, it's okay, Kevin, we've been told that you could be deported as early as Thursday, but we won't know for sure until you're actually on the plane. I hardly slept that night. I think I was up much of the night just anticipating, is this really gonna happen? Am I really gonna be released? Or is it just another huge disappointment? And a little before six, they came to get me. And we go in this, three-car convoy to the nearest international airport, which is about three hours away. And they get put on the plane as the very last passenger on a plane bound for Tokyo. As the plane door closed, our lawyer, he handed me a, a box of maple cream cookies and his iPad with pictures and messages from Julie and the kids on it. But it was just, um, I think the shock was just settling in that this is really happening. And when I got off that plane, border security officials met us and took us uh, through a back way. And I walked into that room where Julia and my, my family were there, the kids were there. It was just, it was unbelievable and almost unreal. And then the door opens and Kevin like walks in with this massive beard and this like huge smile. And like everyone just like rushed into his arms. And it was like this giant <laughs> hug. <laughs> You don't ever want that moment to go away. You're just so happy and so thankful and so grateful. I've been waiting for 775 days for that day to happen. It was an amazing and wonderful reunion on September 15th.
Let's pray. Father, as we share a piece of your story, as we've seen, watch this video, as our story intersects with our lives, may everyone watching be encouraged. Reveal yourself, Father. You never leave us. You are always beside us as our hearts ache, as fears surface, as anxiety wants to steal us away into a hopeless and helpless place. You are there to deliver us, rescue us, wrap your arms around us, and surprise us with joy. We are your children, Lord. Father, please wrap your arms around us to scoop us up and show us what you see. Let us glimpse the bigger picture and find each thing you've placed near for us right now. We trust you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for choosing our hearts as your home. Teach us to live from the inside out, in the seen and unseen during this really difficult Christmas season. In Jesus' name. You know, we served, as you've heard in the video, for 30 years in China. Raised our four children there. We did things, Christian social enterprise, you could call it. Community development, education, and training. We studied Chinese. The last thing we did was we ran a coffee house on the border of China and North Korea. Then on August 4th, 2014, we were abducted. And I say abducted because we were not arrested. I was not officially arrested until almost eight months after this ordeal started. Arrested by what's called the Ministry of State Security, or in China, you just refer to it as like the FBI. Held in a secret location, accused of being spies, stealing state secrets. And I need to clarify, we did not steal state, state secrets, and we are not spies. People ask, why did this happen? Briefly, Canada arrested a Chinese spy named Su Bin for stealing state secrets at the behest of the US government. They took us to trade. Well, the problem is, since we're not spies, it didn't work for us to be traded. We didn't know that for two years, though, till after I was deported, convicted and deported, why we were taken. We spent six months in isolation, each in separate room, with no outside communication, not even knowing if both, were, both of us were in the same place. They call that a black jail. It just means it doesn't exist. Technically, it's just not there. So the Canadian government had no idea where we were. The, our families didn't know where we were. We faced daily six hours of interrogation in this isolation compound, followed by an additional 19 months where Julia was in, put in virtual house arrest or what they call bail pending trial. And I was put in a public prison with 900 inmates. It was horrible. This unending not knowing, threats of execution, it was awful. But you know what? We survived. I mean, that's obvious, I know. But it's by the grace of God, crying out to him daily, moment by moment, we survived. Because God had a plan and a purpose. People have said, I could never do what you did. That's exactly true. Because God has designed each of us for our stories in partnership and dependence on him. That's how it has to be. Living our stories without him is like trying to muster up our own resilience and courage and self-discipline or willpower. Without God, it just can't be done. We, far from it, we just can't do it. You have your Bibles handy? Turn with me to Proverbs. Uh, by the way, this is the Bible I had in prison. And it's, uh, it was brand new. When I had it in prison, it's now well marked over those two years I spent in that prison. But turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. These were life-giving words to me, and so many others were during those two years. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
But in all your ways, acknowledge or submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. These words were life to me. And one thing I learned is that when it says God will make your path straight, God's idea straight is not my idea straight. It's very different. You know, these words were written by Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. In 1 Kings, not long after he was anointed king, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, but he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. He wasn't perfect. None of us are. He sacrificed at the high places, but he loved God, and that was the important part. And we know the story, what happens shortly later in 1 Kings chapter 3. God comes to him in a dream, and he says, God says to him, ask whatever you want. And what does Solomon ask for? He asks for wisdom, for discernment, so he can govern these people. God was so pleased with that, that he not only gave them wisdom, give him wisdom and discernment, but he gave them him riches as well, not unasked for. So these words that we find in the book of Proverbs came from his relationship with God, putting God first and foremost. They weren't his own imaginings. These are God's words to us as well. Let's read them one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's the plan. That's what he wants us to do. We can't trust in our own understanding. You know, we, try, we think we understand something. It just doesn't work. Okay? It says, in all your ways. It means in everything you do, acknowledge him. No matter where you are, what the situation is, he says, and he will make your path straight. He will. He'll make the path straight according to his plan and his purpose. I didn't think prison was my straight path, but it was God's path. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. We, just, we don't have the wisdom of how to live our lives. We need to rely upon God. And he says, fear the Lord and shun evil. He says, turn away from it. Run away from it if you have to. And, what, and the promise is, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. What an incredible promise. Bring health, bring nourishment. I'm not saying everyone who gets sick will be healed. That doesn't always happen. I'm saying this is the way we are to live, trusting God, acknowledging him, and leaning not on our own understanding. You know, as I faced really the uncertainty, the agony, and the pain of suffering in prison, these words really did bring life to me. I thought, you know, Trust in God. That's what it has to be. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, because I could not understand it. And from this trust, from this deep understanding, comes joy, comes calmness, comes a deep peace, despite the circumstances. God knows, and God really is in charge. I want to tell you what happened in our second Christmas in prison. This is December 2015, not that long ago. I'd been praying and begging God to let me out, somehow to release me and let me go home in time for the second Christmas. It was my hope and dream, and I kept thinking, this is going to happen. I'd already been a prisoner for over 500 days, living in one cell, never leaving, eating, showering, pacing, everything along with 14 other inmates in that one cell, and it's not very big. Some 80 or 90 inmates passed through my cell in the 19 months I was in that place. Crimes ranged from murder to drugs, 
drug addicts to men accused of fraud, theft, even a couple slated to be executed. Food was slopped in through a, a hole in the cell door to a plastic bowl, a common bowl. So you ate in groups of three or four people. Pretty tasteless. Some of the worst Chinese food I've ever had. Little variety. 28.4% of the time, 28.4% of the time, there was no food to buy. Yeah, you had to buy everything in prison. Toothbrush, water to drink, toilet paper, and food you had to buy in prison. There's no variety in activity, just sitting or pacing in the cell every day. Reading the few books I was able to have in prison because the government can go and push for that, that I could have books to read, including my Bible, which I had fought for on the first day when we were taken. And I, I want to digress for a minute and just tell you what happened that day. Because that day we were taken, totally unexpected, of course. They took me back to our apartment, and they ransacked the whole place. The end of the night, this is from 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening, no, probably closer to 10 o'clock in the evening until 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. They were just really ransacking the whole place, piling things up, looking for evidence of spying, uh, which they didn't find any. The end of that night, or early morning, they said, okay, grab some clothes for you and Julia. At the same time, I grabbed our Bibles, and I grabbed this Bible for me. And they said to me, you can't have that. And the Holy Spirit rose up in me, because I was just a little afraid and timid at that moment. But the Holy Spirit rose up and said, that's not very nice of you. And after some discussion, we'll call it, they said, okay, you can have your Bibles. The amazing thing is, this Bible is not my Bible. I have no idea where it came from. It was in our apartment. I grabbed it thinking it was mine. It was brand new. Slightly bigger print, which was better in prison for the fluorescent lights that were on 24-7. It was a study Bible. It didn't have a mark in it. Today it has many marks in it. But God knew I would need this life-giving tool, this, his life-giving word during that time. But back to what I was saying about my second Christmas. My body was literally falling apart. There were heart issues, blood pressure they couldn't control, erratic heartbeat, back pain, they found, later they found out I had two vertebrae out of alignment. I had appendicitis. My foot went numb for three months. I couldn't move it. All sorts of things like this. The stench in the room in that cell was unbearable. Cell 318. By the way, you know the two Michaels who were in prison in China today? Michael Spavor is in 315, cell 315, the very same prison I was in. I know exactly what it feels like and where he is. We even had, because of the stench, nurses would avoid going past the cells. They walk on the opposite side of the hallway, the outside hallway. The shower was a faucet just over the, kind of hanging there, over top of the, what we refer to as the squatty potty, meaning the, the toilet with the, just a hole in the, in the floor. We had to shower three at a time in that place because there's only water for 30 minutes a day because it was solar heated. The shower in the bathroom was just small and glass enclosed area. It wasn't fun. I'd had it. I was sick and tired. 500 days. I didn't know how my family was or if I'd ever get out. And now the second Christmas is approaching. In prison, I didn't know if I would even make it. I ached. I didn't feel like eating anything. Probably at that point I'd lost 30 pounds, which probably would be good at this point. And words of that old song came to mind, because lots of songs would come to mind. I was kind of coming, sort of singing that song, 
know, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to you, to thee. And I stopped the words, take my life, and I just thought, God, if you would just take my life, it would be okay. He didn't, obviously. But again, his grace came and his mercy came. And joy came too because of his presence. A few days of agony later, it was Christmas Eve. I woke up on day 507, Thursday, December 24th, 2015, just aching, really, for Julia, my children, our grandchildren, again saying, I can't take it anymore, but I trust in you, even in this incredible pain. I trust in you, Lord, and I lean not on my own understanding because I know you have a plan. I know you love me. Sometimes those words are really, really hard to say, but I kept saying them. What happened next, I want to read from our book. It's called Two Tears on the Window. And you can maybe get one from Jerry or certainly from Amazon or Kobo, you can get one. The Audible book will be coming soon. But let me read. It's a bit of a long section, a, a page or so. Day 507. Thursday, December 24th, I awoke aching for my children. If only the grandchildren were coming for games and appetizers, just one giggle would help. Or a little hand in mine with Joey's small voice saying, Hi, Grandpa. Or a handmade card from Kiana, our granddaughter, came with her biggest smile. I fingered the Christmas family calendar tucked in my Bible that the consular representative passed on last month for my family. Children were meeting in Edmonton, and Sarah, our oldest daughter, was making dinner for everyone. I cried as I imagined this. Suddenly, an escort guard came to the cell door and shouted, Shangdang Kwaila, meaning Merry Christmas. And I thought, that's kind of weird. And he called my name. I says, Kevin Gao, come. The Ministry of State Security, the MSS, is waiting. I thought, oh no, what's this? I rushed over as he unlocked the large metal door and put me in handcuffs, which are not fun, by the way. He led me to a meeting room, not to an interrogation room. Relieved and hopeful I'd see Julie, I sat at a small desk. The head interrogator I nicknamed Chief was in the room fiddling with a video camera in the corner. Julia's on her way, he said, as if reading my thoughts. My achiness and pain slipped behind a backdrop of anticipation. Is this true or just one more huge disappointment? Then Julia entered with her head interrogator and two overflowing grocery bags. Incredible. Chief insisted she spread everything out for the video. Of course, everything's for a show there. So she draped a piece of tinsel around the desk and pulled beef jerky, chips, candy, crackers, processed cheese, grape juice, and a small pizza from the bags, things I hadn't seen in over 500 days. My eyes opened wide when four glass bottles of Starbucks iced latte were, appeared, and I thought, how could that be? The guard grabbed them before I spoke, though. He said, no glass. It's dangerous. Can you pour them into a cup at least, I pleaded, like a desperate child. He said, maybe later. He answered, stuffing them into a bag. You have 30 minutes to celebrate. I thought, what kind of celebration is that? 30 minutes. You ever tried to celebrate Christmas in 30 minutes? Ready, set, go. You know, it was like that. He announced this, and I, but I, so I focused on the food. I mean, wouldn't you? Who, who else gets pizza for Christmas, right? Let's eat the pizza, I said, almost half wondering if it would disappear before I took a bite, like the, the lattes. Could there really be a pizza right in front of me? I mean, that was just... Incredible. Good idea, Julie answered. She sat across a small desk from me where they told her to sit and served me a pepperoni-covered slice. 
In the awkwardness, she said, the Ministry of State Security called me without warning this morning and told me to get some money ready. Ten minutes, they said, later, they would be there to pick her up. They drove her to a shop to buy these treats that were sitting before me now. They encouraged me to buy two bags full. He carried the bags because only they can bring things into the prison. They even wanted me to buy a Christmas tree, she said, but I convinced them tinsel was enough. Then we stopped at the new mall for the pizza. The place wasn't open, but we slid into a booth and waited. Can you believe this is happening? I wanted to reach out and hug her, and I, I know there's things you want to reach out and do today too, but you can't. But I knew I couldn't. I didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize this unexpected joy. And it really was very unexpected and incredibly joyful, even in those 30 minutes. She smiled as I ate, and I didn't complain when I talked with my mouthful. I guess I did that then. I learned a few habits in prison, not good ones. I didn't expect anything, I said, but I prayed and always hoped. Then looking straight at Chief, I added, it's so kind of you, thank you. He said nothing, but looked pleased. You can send a message to your family, he said. Then he turned on the video, and I was supposed to, it was it reminded me of like taking a forced hostage video, like be nice, smile, say nice things. So I did, expecting fully it would go to my family. It never did, never went anywhere that we know of. But you know, when they clicked the video off, this was, it was at the 30 minute mark then. They packed everything up, okay, you know, it's over. Julie disappeared. They sent me back to my cell. My cellmates asked what happened. I told them. You know, the comfort, the reassurance, the hope, the courage to keep going, those 30 minutes really did it. It gave me that unexpected joy that I would unpack for days. Because it reminded me again that God is still in charge. Julie had no time to prepare, 10 minutes, and then they came. And they did all those things just to bring some joy. But I think God prompted that, because I think he does that. All the leftovers they put in a bag, and the guard took back to his office. Even the, uh, well, they weren't iced lattes at that point. They were lukewarm. He poured them into my prison plastic cup, and he gave them to me over the next couple days. But in the midst of this horrible pain of two years in prison, God brought joy and comfort. And he'll do the same for you today. That's what God does. He brings unexpected joy because he knows exactly what's going on. And this is only one instance of things that God did during those two years. He did many, many things. There was another time, well, actually the very next day, it wasn't quite so joyful. Things took an abrupt turn. So on Christmas Day, December 25th, 2015, right after that unexpected joy, guards appeared again. I thought, what's going on again? They did not come bearing gifts, as the three wise men did. I thought, another visit? What's going on? This, you know, I was anticipating something really exciting. Then they took me to an interrogation room, not a meeting room. They put me in a tiger chair, which you can see. That day was completely different from the day before. To say that a tiger chair is uncomfortable is a very much of an understatement. But what happened then was, I was sitting there facing an interrogator and a well-dressed official-looking man who introduced himself as Judge Ning. Your case is transferred to the court, he announced. I'm the presiding judge who will handle things from now on. No more applications for family visits are possible. I will inform you of the trial date when I hear from Beijing. See, my trial wasn't dependent on evidence. My trial was 
political. The ordeal continued for another nine months, 269 days. But into that darkness, a light shone. I'd seen Julia on Christmas Eve. God had been saving that gift for me, a gift of unexpected joy. My courage really was renewed, despite the promise of not no more visits, which wasn't nice. But again and again, God did unexpected things. He kept showing me he was at work and he was present. Another time, so, you know, in prison, I, the way I kept, I don't know if you want to say sane or what, just to how I coped with things, I had routines. I would get up at 3 or 3.30 every morning. I'd read and pray. I mean, there's no alarm clock in prison, right? So I, God would just wake me up at those times. And at first, they weren't really happy. And it was sort of humorous. It wasn't humorous at the time. But when I first got up at 3 or 3.30, then an announce, a loudspeaker comes on, an announcement comes on and says, Kevin Gow, get back to bed. And I didn't really want to. You could say I was a bit rebellious. And uh, after a little while, they got used to me getting up at 3 or 3.30. And uh, that would be my quiet time until about probably 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I would just read and pray quietly. Of course, that's why it's called the quiet time, right? Because there were 14 other inmates in my cell, right? So I had to be quiet. The lights were on 24-7, so it didn't, that didn't matter. But this one morning, I, I got up and I was reading in Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. Verse 2 starts, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at, at all until the three weeks were over. And I heard God say, fast for three weeks. Now, to do this in prison, is they don't like it because they want you to be alive. They thought it was going on a hunger strike or something like that. And I said, no, no. And I showed them in my Bible. I talked about fasting, tried to explain it, explain it to them. They, they didn't get it. I did it anyways. This is towards the end of February of uh, 2016. So almost two months after Christmas at this point. And I knew that what the date was, so I thought, I'm going to start on March 1st. I'm going to start my fast March 1st, mainly because then I could, you know, three weeks right till March 21st. The math was easy for me, right? I could figure it out. And as sometimes happens, very seldom happens, but sometimes it happens, some good food came on March 1st. And I, I would struggle, like, this is highly unusual. Some good food came in, in for a meal. So I, I said, okay, I'm saying this to myself. And uh, I stopped. I ate. I didn't start my fast until March 4th. You know, I was a little, you know, mad at myself because I didn't start when I had planned and things like that. And then 12 days into this fast, now the doctors and the people are kind of watching, is he okay? People are talking about me, he's not eating. But 12 days into this fast, I had this thought, I could eat a boiled egg. I felt like I had God's permission to eat a boiled egg. Now, to get a boiled egg in prison is really something. Okay, so first you have to ask the guard. Okay, so you ask the guard. But first of all, you have to actually, before you even ask the guard, you have to ask everyone in the cell, would you like to get some boiled eggs? Because the whole cell has to agree, because the minimum order is 100. I can't eat 100 boiled eggs. So, and this is all going through my mind. So I'm, I think I have to ask everyone here, they have to agree. And then we have to ask the guard, he has to agree. Then we have to ask the kitchen. The kitchen has to agree. The kitchen has to talk to the chickens. They have to agree, right? All this. This is all just going through my mind. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm not, I won't do it. I'm fasting. I won't, I won't even suggest it. 
within one hour. The first and only time it ever happened in, in that prison, when I was there, the kitchen came by selling boiled eggs. Now think about that for a moment. God knew my heart. He knew he'd put that idea of eating a boiled egg in. He knew I would say no because I was fasting. But he knew that that was good. And the cell did agree. We bought 100 eggs, and I, I got 10 of them. Amazing what God does because he knows your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind and your heart. He knows what you need also. doesn't mean things are easy. Things were incredibly, incredibly difficult in prison. But God knew. And then the, my fast came to an end March 25th which happens to be my brother's birthday. First, all of a sudden, I was called out of my cell again. This is highly unusual. Because I only had, was only called out normally once a month for 30 minutes for a consular visit. So we got called out again. I think it's not time for a consular visit. What, what's going on? So everything, kind of worst case scenario, races through your mind all the time. I get called out. I get sent to a, again, another interrogation room, put in the tiger chair, and it's my lawyer. My lawyer says, this is about probably maybe the second time I've met him. And this is, you remember, this is, well, almost two years at that point. No, not quite two years. And he said, I'm, you know, we wanted to talk about the case. He said he heard I would go to trial in shortly. It ended up being about four weeks later. But then he gave me a note from Julia. And she said, today is Good Friday. And I, all of a sudden, I just, it made sense. I didn't start my fast until March 4th. I ended it on March 25th, and it was Good Friday. And I think what God was saying is, resurrection's coming. And it did. That incredible joy, again God spoke. Again he brought that unexpected joy, even in the midst of my circumstances. Now, really every time I eat a boiled egg, and Julia will tell you, I like it nice and warm. And I... I buy them by the flat usually and uh, from a farm. And it just reminds me also of the other 14 people in my cell. And I'm just thankful that God answered an unspoken prayer that day and just reminded me I'm still in charge because he always is. But God had a plan in all this. And the plan is always the same, I learned. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's his plan. Through everything, through a pandemic, through prison, through whatever, that is God's plan. In everything that he does, everything that he allows, he wants people to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, there's another time in prison, and there's lots of stories. I had this felt fellow prisoner come to me. He was a university professor. He was caught for stealing a large sum of money. I don't even know how much. It was a large sum. But he just came and sat on my wooden cot, and he said, can you just tell me some Bible stories? And so we talked. You know, I tried to conduct my life in prison exactly as I did outside. I didn't stand in street corners outside and preach, but I prayed, and we always did. God, let them ask questions. No matter what we did, I just prayed, Lord, let them ask questions. And be ready to give an answer for everyone who asks for the hope that is within us. People came, sat on my cot. Sometimes they looked around and make sure no one was listening. Somebody probably was, but it doesn't matter. He just said, tell me some Bible stories. 
Another time a guy came and he, kind of a loud voice, he, he said, you remind me of my mother. So that kind of worried me. But uh, he said, you talk about that Jesus like my mother. Can you tell me about him? He didn't want to hear about Jesus outside. But he wanted to hear about Jesus on the inside of prison in a hopeless situation. Just so you know, in a Chinese prison, if you're arrested or abducted or whatever, there's a 99.9% chance you'll be convicted. It's hopeless. Guilty or innocent, you're guilty. That's how it works there. Another time, the prison warden came by. She was a very stern woman, I guess you could say. That's the best way to put it. And she, uh, she didn't come by often, but she kind of maybe once in a while did her rounds, inspected the, the cells, just kind of glanced in. So one time she comes by and she looks in our cell, and I'm, I'm sitting on my little wooden cot reading the Bible. And she kind of yells out in this really stern voice, Come and go! And I think, uh-oh, what's going on? She says, I see you're reading your book. Now I'm really concerned. Is she going to take it away or something? And then she said, that's good. I thought, how incredible that the warden of this prison of a 900-some-odd inmates plus however many guards, another 100 guards, I don't know, plus the military guards who would guard outside with guns, she just told everybody that reading the Bible was good. How incredible is that? That wouldn't have happened unless I was there with this Bible. That wouldn't have happened unless the Holy Spirit spoke to me that first night and said, that's not very nice of you when they said I couldn't take this Bible. All the things that happened, God was in charge, and he still is to this very day right now, and he will be tomorrow and every other day. You know, unexpected joy just kept coming in that prison. Pain was there, obviously, but God kept showing up in the warden or in that university professor or in that guy said he reminded me, I reminded him of his mother and many other times, things like that. Because sometimes the joy is not in our, you know, being free or anything like that. Sometimes the joy is doing what God says and bringing him joy let me ask the question again. So where is God in the middle of the challenges you face right now? Where is he? Can you trust in God's plan for this day, these days that you're in? Yes. Yes and yes. You can. It might be hard. It might be difficult. It actually might be horrible. But you can trust God because he is present. He promises that. And he's at work always. That's another promise. He says he is. He's at work in the seen and the unseen. So I kept seeing the unseen where God was working. And he brings, yes, incredible and unexpected gifts of joy. He does. Hope gets renewed again and again. And in this COVID season, my prayer is, your hope is renewed. It's easy, and I know, to look at the circumstances and say, I can't do this, I can't do that, we can't go here, we can't have these people over, we can't, we can't, we can't. In prison, it was the same but God can do incredibly more than ever we ask or imagine. You have to remember that, because he does. Joy comes with his presence. That's where the joy comes in. Let me read those verses one more time from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. You, you just can't. I could not lean on my own understanding in that prison. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will make your path straight. Not the straight that you expect, but the straight that glorifies God and brings joy to him. And yes, it will bring joy to you. So can you choose? Can you choose today to let God bring joy? Can you let him surprise you with unexpected gifts? Can you just wait in anticipation? Can you choose to let him reveal more of himself through your pain and difficulties and through the disruptions of our lives right now? Can we just have a little conversation with God for a minute? Can you say with me, Father God, creator of heaven and earth, my designer, I choose to trust you in this season. Can you say that? I want to know you more, your unchanging love and your character. Can you say that with me? Can you ask Jesus for forgiveness for doing things your own way at times? Because we all do, don't we? I do. Can you say with me, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that I can be forgiven and restored to the relationship with God I was designed for, no matter what the circumstances are. Please forgive me for any ways I am trying to be wise in my own eyes and trying to lean on my own understanding. I'm sorry. Can you say that? Help me to intentionally turn away from evil, from distress and from distractions and addictions that dull the pain. I'm willing, even though it's hard. To let you, Holy Spirit, help me from the inside out. I lift my hands as a sign that I can trust in, I can't trust in my own understanding, but I can trust in you. And thank you for your promises, Lord. Today I receive your healing in my heart, my emotions, my body, Father, I receive your refreshment right now as you promised. I want to partner with you in every way through this season and live in the way you designed me to live despite the circumstances and difficulties. And I look forward to the unexpected gifts of joy you have saved for me for this season and for the joy I will bring to you by acknowledging you in all my ways. In the name of Jesus. There really is so much joy in going God's way instead of our own. doesn't mean it's the easy way. It's probably not. But I can say our two years, those 775 days, they were incredibly painful. They were awful. They were actually horrible. I don't want to repeat them, but I wouldn't change them either. Because God's, God's presence was so real. He kept showing up and showing who he was. You know, someone asked me not long after I was convicted and deported and back in Canada, they said, so what did you learn from this experience? It was, at the time, it was a bit of an odd question. And the first thing that came to mind was, the Bible's true. And I know we know that. As believers, we, we know that. But now, I know that. There is no question. There is no doubt. I just know it's true. God will reveal himself to you through the journey. And yeah, the journey is sometimes going to be tough. But there is joy unexpected joy. Can we just pray together in this closing blessing? I bless you to trust the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding. I bless you to acknowledge him in all your ways and let him make your journey smooth. Go in Jesus' name with the Holy Spirit at work inside you to bring about the purposes and plans he has for you right now. Be encouraged and comforted and filled to overflowing with joy unspeakable. 
That is a reflection of the glory of God in all his magnificence. Receive the blessing of healing to your body and refreshment to your bones today. Rest in his peace and find strength in his joy. And let others see Jesus in you and be drawn to him wherever you go. Thank you for giving me a few minutes to share, and I trust that God will speak and touch you today. Amen.